0: The John Steicherwald Show, sponsored by Servicemaster of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van. Portions of today's program may be pre recorded.
2: Well, maybe denying elections isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, I just asked the Democrats. Uh, they elected Hakeem Jeffries, I believe he's uh, a representative from Brooklyn to be their leader in the House today, which I guess uh, makes him the front-runner to become Speaker of the House in 2024, uh, if and when the Republicans blow it and lose the majority. Here's what Hakeem said back in 2019. Russia interfered with our election, attacked our democracy for the sole purpose of artificially placing someone at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They were successful. Now... Call me crazy, but that sounds a lot like denying the election. I, I don't know. It just kind of sounds like it. Anyway, in November of 2020, he told Donald Trump to, in a tweet, stop pouting because America would never accept him as a legitimate president. That was back when, you know, being an election denier was still okay. All the Democrats were doing it, including their pathetic candidate, Mrs. William Clinton, uh it wasn't surprising. Democrats have, you know, been declaring Republican presidential winners illegitimate since George W. Bush in two thousand. And they're gonna do it again if the Republicans ever overcome the cheating and win again. But what's gonna be interesting is if the non Fox TV news outlets will take the time to run any of Hakeem's election denying sound bites when they do the stories tonight about him being elected to that position. I wouldn't bet on it. And speaking of the media When we come back, we're going to talk to our media expert, Professor Jeff McCall of DePauw University, about how the usual suspects are having a meltdown over Elon Musk trying to mix in a little, you know, free speech at Twitter. And in our second half hour, 12 so-called Republicans caved, and they gave the Democrats a win on the Respect for Marriage Act. We'll have someone from Alliance Defending Freedom here to tell you why. It has very little to do with respect for anybody. Stick around. Hey, I still want to tell you about Bath or Us, and it's time for you, if you've been thinking about it, to get it done. Get the bath of your dreams with Bath R Us. We've got walk-in tubs, replacement showers, tub-to-shower conversions, and we're not talking about... Uh, overlays. We're talking about total transformation, and, uh, and it'll do it for any bathroom. Bath-O-Rust can transform any bathroom to the bath of your dreams. Every unit is custom built. You just uh, pick out all the, you know, the the premium accents and the accessories, all that stuff. And all Bath-O-Rust products are made here in the U.S. Every single unit installed by a certified factory technician, and it takes only days. And here's the best part. If you schedule a free in home estimate now, you get $1,000 off plus 18 months, same as cash. That's right, zero down, maybe uh, zero payments, and zero interest for 18 months. Call today, 513 715 0778. That's 513 715 0778. Go to Bath R Us. That's bath, letter R us.com for the bath of your dreams.
3: Ooh, ooh. snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
1: Attention. This is a special alert for all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an overpriced auto warranty or no warranty coverage at all. Due to the increase of new and used car prices, repaired costs, and the price of gas, people are keeping their cars longer than ever, which is why CarShield is announcing a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on covered auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can save thousands for covered auto repairs. Yes, you heard that correctly. You could save thousands on future auto repairs. Our specialists are standing by for all drivers to call for a free quick quote. Call 800-518-1985. Vehicle protection plan pricing is at an all-time low. Plus, drivers who purchase this coverage today will receive rental car options, free roadside assistance, and free towing. Call 800-518-1985 now for your free quick quote. That's 800-518-1985. What do you have to lose? Call 800-518-1985. Again, 800-518-1985.
0: The John Steigerwald Show, AM 1250, The
2: Answer. Hey, uh, remember when the demo, well, I call them the the demo mediocrats, um, loved Elon Musk? And how could they not? He's Mr. Electric Cars, you know. Well, then he bought Twitter and started throwing around scary ideas like free speech. Now they hate him, and they're triggered by him. Now what could must be ready to spring on them when he reveals how much censoring was going on? Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University, a media critic for The Hill, and our go-to guy on the media here on this radio show. He joins us now. Jeff, thanks for coming on again, as always.
4: You're welcome, John. Great to be with you.
2: So, uh, do you think there are a lot of people in the media who are or at least should, be worried about what Musk is about to reveal?
4: <laughs> well, I think they probably should be concerned, because I think uh, once he gets in there and starts getting under the hood and starts revealing what he knows, there are going to be a lot of media outlets that are going to be exposed for the kinds of uh, agenda setting they were doing. And also, they're going to he's going to expose what the social media companies have done generally, and not just Twitter, but I think he's going to show what the operating procedures are for other social media platforms, too, in terms of how they have restricted the flow of information and censored and indeed put their thumbs on the scale and pushed ideologies rather than public forums. And I think this is what's interesting about, you know, the the left's, you know, hair on fire approach to Elon Musk is they're afraid that he might actually realize the promise of social media to create a true public forum. Because, you know, when social media platforms were getting underway, people were thinking, hey, there's a, there's a public forum here. There's a chance for people to uh, have all kinds of points of view and to have a real kind of community conversation. Uh, but then we figured out, at some, as time went on, that social media generally were platforms that were pushing particular points of view, and they were not public forums. Now, I must say, on one level that's okay these public forums supposedly run by private entities can kind of be run however they want the problem was they were not very transparent in deciding what they were going to allow to happen and what they were not going to allow to happen and they were pushing points of view without letting us know that they were censoring the hunter biden laptop story and that sort of thing okay and so what musk is doing here is exposing that these public forums were not real public forums and that they were really avenues for certain ideological people to push their points of view and to kind of snooker, so to speak, uh, the population to think that they had a place where people could go and exchange ideas, but it was only certain ideas that rose to the level of acceptance by the social media programmers and monitors, and that's really kind of scary because, in a sense, they were monitoring the free flow of information in ways that suited their ideological principles, and that's really not that much different than what authoritarians do around the world. They allow certain things that support that they support, but they disallow things that they don't support. And that's not true a true public forum. And it's particularly scary to me uh, this week when, at the White House press briefing, the White House press secretary said that the government was monitoring what's happening on Twitter now i'm thinking hey the government should not be monitoring anybody's business on twitter i mean social media and here's the question i have for the white house Were are monitoring the twitter app before elon musk took it over and my guess is they were not that worried about it then because at that point twitter was fully in the camp of supporting you know left-wing uh... ideologies
2: and you know just as a uh, as a personal aside here um i 've been on Twitter for i don 't know ten years now, and the day that i 'm not doing this radio show i won 't be on it anymore because I, I i think I like to do it just to keep in you know another way of keeping in touch with listeners and maybe promoting guests and things like that so i had i was and I know that I was being messed with I had uh fourteen thousand seven hundred um, uh, followers for i'm and i 'm i think it 's two or three years without moving in any direction i didn't change by a hundred in either direction and in the last uh, two or three years i i started noticing that i was getting very few responses to my tweets very almost never anybody disagreeing with it and i asked friends of mine if they had seen my tweets one guy said i haven't seen one of your tweets in months and he follows me so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm a little radio host here i'm a nobody here in pittsburgh and the, the people are now coming, I'm now up, since Elon Musk took over, what, about a month and a half ago, I've increased by about 800 followers, and I've, uh, 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 when, I, when I increased by zero for three years, and also, I'm getting people responding who disagree with me, which I'm fine with, that's good, but what, tell, what it tells me, Jeff, is that these people were being protected uh, from having to having to be subjected to my comments on twitter that's what oh. that, that's what was happening. so yeah, how's that helping them uh, that's but, why is that a good thing for them? That's what I don't know. well, it's
4: not good for the public conversation because I mean when you get right down to it I mean we, we are a polarized nation in many ways, but part of the way to undo polarization or to get the people to try to work together and to have the functional interdependence we need as a representative republic is for people to be exposed to ideas that they don't necessarily agree with. And when we're restricting the flow of information, we're you know, trying to pick winners and losers. And you know, as a media professional, you were astute enough to know that things were going on and that there was you know, funny business probably going on behind the scenes. But I also think of all those Twitter users who want to have a voice, who want to get their two cents worth in out there, and they don't know that probably they've been censored or, or throttled in some way or another. Right. Um, and those people have been misled. Uh, and again, it, it, it's the kind of stuff that happens in third world nations. And you'd like to think that in a nation that, you know, has been built on civil liberties, in particular, to allow our public dialogue to be supported with the First Amendment, that as a nation we could at least say, hey, when you create a public forum... You're going to have to let people speak. The whole point of having the First Amendment, as our constitutional framers told us, is to not just let us know about stuff that we already agree with, but to let us know about what other people might have on their mind, which maybe isn't up your alley. And I think that's okay. I mean, that's, that's how free people operate. Those, those kinds of civil liberties kick in. And we don't want the government managing what we think about or talk about, but we should also not let social media think about or what we talk about and, and I just want to put in the reservation here, I'm not advocating for an absolute free-for-all where mm-hmm. we have people in, inciting violence right. or threatening people. So, I mean, you know, and that's the thing when people go like, oh, you know, took over. We're going to have all kinds of chaos and threatening behavior and racist stuff on Twitter now because of him. Like, no, there, there are ways to manage, you know, the chaotic, uh, insightful, threatening material that does not go into stopping people's ideas, and Twitter was not just trying to restrict people's ideas; they were trying to restrict what people could say as a way to push their agenda in ways that supported their. And I don't think there's any doubt about this left of center view of the world. And part of the thing that we know is that the left of center point of the point of view viewpoint of the world was that Twitter employees were almost entirely supporting financially left-of-center candidates for yeah. political office, and you, you, you didn't see them supporting right-of-center people no. in their speaking or their politics. And so let's just call it what it was. And, and I mean, Twitter employees, particularly, I'm sure, uh, were left-of-center people living in Silicon Valley, most of them uh, in a blue state, uh, and they're welcome to do that. But they're not welcome necessarily to impose that point of view on what is supposed to be a national public forum platform.
2: And Google may be even worse because Google um, is has been uh, I think everybody knows that Google has been um, maneuvering and manipulating uh, where, how information is spread by by the way it prioritizes um, items on its on its pages and if you search a certain uh, certain thing. Um, Google will make sure that the, the the item that is most favorable to the Republicans is 27th on the page, and the first 26 things are all giving the Democrats' side of the story. But here's the thing, uh, Jeff. Um, as a free market guy, I really don't care what, what, what Twitter if, – if, if I'm on Twitter and I think I'm being manipulated and I think it's all phony and I think there's censorship going on, I'm perfectly capable of just not being on Twitter anymore. But the big thing that I'm wondering about, and that's what I want to ask you about it, whether the big thing is you're talking about what happens in third world countries, is if the government was involved in this and helping and encouraging Twitter to do this, that changes it completely. Because if I don't like Twitter, all I got to do is just cancel my it takes five seconds and I never see Twitter again. And,
4: and we see there seems to be some evidence coming out now, and and Musk might even provide more of it that the government has been involved in kind of advising or coaching, or I, I hope it's no more than that, but maybe even arm twisting of these social media platforms to do their bidding for them. And again, I, I agree with you too as a free market person. If a private owner sets up a social media platform and they make it a propaganda wing for you know some nutty conspiracy theory or whatever, I'm okay with that. But the only thing I would say is they at least owe it to us to provide transparency for how they are making their decisions and to be upfront with what they're trying to do. And I think that was the problem I had with how these social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of them, were moderated, is that it was very unclear about how they were going about their business. And people would even ask, like, well, why aren't these things getting trafficked and why are these people being censored? And like, well, you know, it's just kind of the way it works. We have some guy in a you know, in his pajamas in a basement yeah. who decide that stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, but that's not good enough. We need to know what is the system in place. And I think that's what's interesting in, in observing Musk here is that we know that Musk's takeover of Twitter is a work in progress. We know that uh, they're, they're going to be changing things, and they already have. But the one thing I will give Elon Musk credit for is that it's pretty clear what he's thinking as he's going through this process, I mean, he's posting decisions he's making, and he's, he's letting people kind of know on what basis they're going to go through their process here. And so at least people, people who want to get off of Twitter, fine. They don't like Elon Musk, fine. At least they know what his plans are and how he's going to go about his business. And he's been more transparent in the few weeks that he's owned Twitter than it ever was with Jack Dorsey for all the years that he was in charge.
2: Mm-hmm. And now the bigger question, and we're talking to Jeffrey McCall, he's a professor of communications at the Paul University. Uh, will the media report on whatever it is that Musk reveals? Because they're fully capable of having this thing be a gigantic story on Twitter and a big story on Fox, and not mentioning it on MSNBC uh, or CNN or, for that matter, ABC or CBS.
4: Well, if you look at the left-wing media so far, as, as I've monitored them off and on, uh, they have raised a lot of questions about Musk not knowing what he's doing, mm-hmm. and he's, he's going to create a hate platform, and he's going to create chaos, uh, and he's going to be a security risk, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but once he, gets out, once he gets going with his transparencies and the rules of engagement and that sort of thing, uh, they're going to have less interest in him. So when there's no opportunity to be hair on fire, they're not going to be reporting about the progress that he's made or their, uh, their moderation practices or ad- all that sort of thing. And, you know, and it's still really early to tell. But you remember when he first took over, the left was all crazy with the fear that this was going to now be a hate platform and you'd have racial slurs all over the place right. and threats of violence all over the place. And I know it's still early in Musk's tenure, but from what I have been able to read and try to research, there's no evidence that there has been an increase in any of that kind of uh, negative kind of influence coming out of Twitter. In fact, there's some thought that maybe uh, there's been a reduction in kind of hate speech and threatening speech and that sort of thing, because people are not going to get any traction out of it. And Musk... is musk is not in favor of that obviously i mean he he can't put up with the negative publicity of all that but there's been no evidence that we've had an increase in incitement we've had an increase in hate speech or increase in racial slurs or any of that kind of thing there's no evidence of that so far and i it'll be interesting to see if that happens because if the trend continues that those things are not proliferating on twitter uh... the left-wing media will drop the interest in the twitter story altogether and in fact A lot of their coverage of Twitter in the early days was to warn us uh, about all the increasing threats that were going to come out of Mm -hmm. Twitter because it was going to be unmoderated. And I think what it shows here is that there is still some moderation going on, but that it's more clear for how it's happening, but also that it's really not becoming a helter-skelter uh, free for all in the in the Twitterverse.
2: Well, the people at all the major liberal outlets are, have been saying, as you mentioned, that, that you know they're concerned about what's going to happen, and they're saying now that a that a billionaire shouldn't have the power to control free speech. Are you, uh, Jeff, ever surprised um, by the degree to which so many in the media are unable to demonstrate any in- introspection at all, to not know that <laughs> how ridiculous they are?
4: Have they never heard of Jeff Bezos <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. Who are, who are billionaires who control way more powerful media platforms than what Elon Musk does.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I got another, another subject. I got a couple minutes left with Jeff McCall of uh, uh, DePaul University. Uh, College Fix did a survey. That's a great website, by the way. I uh, did a survey and couldn't find one Republican pre- professor in 33 departments over seven universities. Uh, they did a study, a uh, uh, survey. Does that surprise you?
4: No, it doesn't surprise me. And it's and it's not just that they probably can't find Republicans. They probably are having a hard time finding moderates or split ticket voters uh, in <laughs> yeah. those institutions as well. Um, I, I really, you know, hey, I work at a university. I appreciate the opportunity to be in the academy. Um you know, I have good colleagues and I have great students, but I don't think there's any question in this day and age that colleges and universities have become places where group think prevails. Mm-hmm. And the saddest thing here is rather than have an academy uh, or an academic system in which, you know, wide-ranging ideas are explored, we've really become, in higher education, a place that restricts critical thinking and that it narrows the range of viewpoints to be analyzed. And uh, the the term I use in this day and age is that we've created intellectual gulags on colleges and universities, which are supposed to be places where all ideas can be expressed and debated, Uh, not that everybody has to agree. uh, But there are real implications uh, in the world now for having created higher education as a place where ideological thinking goes on all the time. And it's one directional ideological thinking, because as you know, in the last midterm election, college educated Voters, particularly college-educated women, were most likely to all vote the same way, mm-hmm. Democrats. Uh, and, and and to support left-wing candidates, and not just Democrats, but left-wing r- no. radicals in some regards. Socialists, okay? Yeah, yeah. And part of the way this, part of the reason this is happening now, is that colleges and universities, where ideological points you know points of view have been entrenched, we now have ideological litmus tests in the hiring of new faculty or people who work in student affairs, and at many universities around the country, and the organization FIRE, which is the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, has reported in several places around the country where universities now have litmus tests in hiring that you have to make a statement of your commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion before you can be considered an applicant yeah. for a faculty position in the physics department, for right. crying out
2: loud. I have like uh, less than a minute left, and I wanted to ask you, Uh, do Republicans not apply for these jobs, or are they just blocked from getting them? Well,
4: it's both of those things now, because I think that for people who are, uh, and again, not just Republicans, but middle-of-the-road or centrist people, know that the culture that they're going into might not be that welcoming. And we're all worried about welcoming and inclusion and hostile environments, but we've created unwelcoming and hostile environments for people who don't think along a particular ideological path. So those people are less likely to want to go into academic careers. But certainly, even if they applied, they're not going to be given full consideration uh, to get an opportunity because you know that student affairs, actually student affairs offices are maybe even more dangerous in this day and age and indoctrination than even in the classroom.
2: Well, I'm out of time, Jeff. I'm going to send you a copy of the course description of a course from from, uh, Kenyon College. It'll take you about three minutes to read it. And it'll make you want to throw up, but I'll I'll email it to you. i look Uh, forward to to that. Okay, and thanks for being on the show, as always. You're welcome. That's Jeff McCall, communications uh, professor at DePaul University.
0: With SRN News, I'm John Scott.
2: The House passes a bill to avert a rail strike. The House took the first major step in avoiding a walkout of workers that would have drastic effects on the U.S. economy as it heads into the holiday season. The Chamber passed a resolution in a 290 to 137 vote, sending it to the Senate for consideration
1: just over a week out from the December 9th strike deadline. 79 Republicans supported the measure and 8 Democrats voted no.
2: Lawmakers are now set to vote on a separate measure that would give rail workers seven days of paid sick leave per year, addressing a chief concern unions and progressives had with the agreement. Bernie Bennett in Washington.
0: The U.S. economy grew at a 2.9% annual rate from July through September, despite high interest rates and chronic inflation. That follows two straight quarters of contraction. After beating Iran one to nothing, the U.S. men's soccer team will play the Netherlands on Saturday, with a chance to reach the quarterfinals for the first time since 2002. This is SRN News.
5: Hi, I'm Al Averroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Inflation is a problem, markets are volatile, and the risk of running out of money in retirement is real. That's why I love annuities, and you should too. Your financial advisor doesn't want you to know that with our annuity strategy, when the stock market goes up, you earn a market linked return that locks in every year, and when the stock market goes down, your annuity won't lose a dime. There are no unnecessary fees, and it works for your investments, money at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank. It's simple, it's safe, and you should only invest if you learn the facts. And that's why savvy investors work with us. Want to learn more? Text free to 833-898-0500. And we'll send our retirement readiness kit directly to your phone right now. If you want to use safe, low fee annuities to build a retirement portfolio that will go up with the market and never lose money, get our retirement readiness kit today and see how this strategy can help secure your future. Text free to 833-898-0500. Text free to 833-898-0500.
2: Supply chains are loosening and inventory is arriving at Pit Cycles and now's a great time to celebrate with a purchase of a brand new ride. This is John Sagerwald. Pit Cycles showrooms are bursting with selection. Over 228 models from Indian, Triumph, BMW, Royal Enfield, KTM and now to the end of the year, get a stylish No Room Marucci leather riding jacket free with your purchase of a new street bike in Warrendale next to Jurgles at pitcycles.com.
0: Pit Cycles
2: Dennis Prager
0: says We need to work out more. The ease with which people calm their conscience is almost infinite. Very few people who do bad have a guilty conscience. The conscience, even more than muscles, must be developed or you lose them. The Dennis Prager Show. Weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The answer...
2: Hey, Christmas is coming. Maybe you're going to have some company over, and maybe you're a little embarrassed about uh, what they might find in your bathroom because it's old and outdated and you don't like it. Now's the time to fix it. Uh, Just go uh, contact BathRUs at BathRUs.com. That's Bath, letter R, us, dot com. And you can uh, get it done in just a matter of days, and every single unit is installed by a certified factory technician and we're talking about a total transformation of your bathroom, not an overlay. And every unit is custom built, allows you to pick all the premium accents and accessories, and they only use products made in the US. So uh what you do what you want to do is get this thing done quickly and you want to quickly make the decision because if you call now to set up a free in home estimate, you get a thousand dollars off plus low to possibly no monthly payments. That's a thousand dollars off and low to no monthly payments. Call today, 412-752-6880, 412-752-6880. Go to BathRUs.com to start loving your bathroom again. AM 1250 and FM 92.5, The Answer.
0: WPGP, Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got The Answer.
6: Ending out with still plenty of delays on the highways. Parkway West stacking up outbound. Banksville Road up to Carnegie looks like about a seven-minute delay there. About the same on the Parkway East outbound. Slow going from Glenwood up to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. On the inbound side, heavy downtown. McKees Rocks Bridge, that's down in one lane each way with construction. Inbound Crosstown Boulevard, it's a slow go from Bigelow Boulevard to Liberty Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
4: AM
0: 1250. The answer. Weather.
1: Windy this evening, otherwise mostly cloudy tonight, low 23, partly sunny, breezy tomorrow, high 36. Mainly clear tomorrow night, low 23. Times of clouds and sun for Friday will reach a high Friday of 52. Saturday, couple of morning showers, otherwise cloudy skies, windy and mild, high 54, but temperatures falling to the lower 40s. With your AccuWeather forecast,
0: I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. This is the John Stikerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer.
2: Well, 12 Republican senators caved and voted with the Democrats to pass the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. It'll be a law as soon as someone shows Joe Biden how to sign it. Um, Alliance Defending Freedom has been speaking out against this uh, from the beginning. And Greg Baylor is senior counsel for ADF, and he joins us now. Greg, thanks for coming on the show.
6: Great to be with you, John.
2: So uh, let's start with this. Is there anything good you can say about this bill? I'll put you on the spot there. uh,
6: No, not a single thing. I mean, it it does damage to religious liberty. It disrespects the American people, and its alleged religious liberty protections are useless.
2: So how does it, uh, well, just kind of give me the whys on all three of those things.
6: Yeah, the first thing it does is create an obligation to recognize same-sex marriage. Now, who does it impose that obligation on? Well, states and local governments, of course, but it also imposes that obligation on nonprofits that work closely with the government, such as faith-based adoption and foster placement agencies. And if they follow their religious beliefs about marriage when doing so, they face litigation under this bill. The religious liberty protections that uh, a group of senators added in the Senate purport to do a lot, and they don't. Um, They simply restate the fact that the First Amendment is still the law and that you can still invoke a a protective federal statute called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And they make, you know, nice sounds about tax-exempt status. They protect churches from having to perform same-sex marriages. That sounds good, right? But no one is trying to force churches to perform same-sex marriages. So they responded not to the real problems with the bill, but to a fake problem in order to create this idea or notion that they're protecting religious liberty, which they're not.
2: So what they're doing is um, they're, not, they're not forcing churches to have a ceremony in which uh, two men are quote-unquote married. But they, uh, they're, in this bill, they're saying that they're putting an end to something that doesn't exist.
6: Yeah, exactly. The same of standards has been a reality in at least some states for, about, for 15 years. And, you know, we've had a ton of religious liberty problems related to the LGBTQ agenda. This just happens not to be one of them. For them to, uh, quote, address this, quote, problem and then pat themselves on the back for doing so is pretty galling. And one of the other things this bill does is that it gives the Internal Revenue Service an additional tool to threaten the tax-exempt status of nonprofits that aren't with the program on same-sex marriage.
2: No, I just heard uh, before I came in here today, a few hours ago, uh, Susan Collins uh, reacting to the passage of this thing. Uh, she, uh, well, she's one of the so-called Republicans who voted for it, and not surprisingly, by the way. She said quote, not quote, but I'm I'm, I'm not quoting her, but what she basically said was she wanted to thank all the faith-based groups that worked closely with her to help make this possible. Who might those faith-based groups be who would have helped?
6: Well, there were a number of organizations uh, that did support the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, One of them is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, One of them is the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, One of them is the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, uh, and they really, you know, they thought that this bill would do some good, and I I think they're mistaken.
2: So um, uh, I guess the Church of Latter-day Saints might explain Mitt Romney's support of it.
6: Well, yeah, it's certainly fair to speculate. Um, You know, the LDS Church has been moving towards this sort of accommodationist perspective. They think that some sort of grand compromise is available when, you know, supporters of LGBT interests have made it very clear that they don't want any kind of compromise. They want to deny religious liberty to organizations that hold traditional beliefs about marriage, sexuality, and the distinction between the sexes.
2: And the ADF release says it's a direct attack on the First Amendment.
6: Well, it absolutely is. I mean, it creates a new cause of action. It allows activist organizations to attack faith-based organizations in court. You know, those faith-based organizations, ADF, will be there to defend them. And even if we prevail in those cases, you know, sometimes the process is the punishment. This law is also going to make it harder for everyone to win their religious freedom cases because now judges can say, look, there's a super important interest in advancing same-sex marriage. And all of you who are not getting with the program, we're going to use this law to say that that interest over outweighs or justifies the burden on your rights
2: so this would this would include um a baker and we all know the story about the baker uh who says i'm not designing a cake with two grooms on it i don't do that uh, uh, yeah well this lo- go ahead no and, and so um this this passage of this law actually makes it more likely that he's he's going to have a problem now
6: Well, the law certainly doesn't, you know, forbid a baker from uh, declining to create a cake that's inconsistent with his religious beliefs. But it might affect the analysis that a judge undertakes. I mean, a lot of in, in all of these cases, really, there's kind of a balancing test. The judge says, what's the burden on your religious freedom or your free speech? And then they turn to the government and say, hey, what are you trying to accomplish here? And, you know, it's a tough thing to weigh mathematically. But you've now given the government one more thing that they can point out and say, hey, our interest is really important. Look, the, the, the Congress endorsed this idea. So, Judge, you know, you ought to rule in our favor.
2: Yeah, and so if I'm that baker, i got to get a lawyer and pay him. Well, that's, that's
6: absolutely right. I mean, that's the case already in the states that have laws forbidding so-called discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And ADF, of course, is representing one of them. We've yeah. uh, Lots of them. We've got a case going in the Supreme Court on Monday. What's the Supreme Court on Monday? What case is that? It's uh, called 303 Creative versus Elenis. And uh, our client is Lori Smith, who is a website designer who follows her faith in her business. And she will create uh, she'll serve anybody, but she doesn't create all messages. She'll create websites for uh, weddings, so between one man and one woman, but not websites for marriages that are inconsistent with her religious beliefs. The court has taken the case; they're going to hear argument on Monday.
2: So, uh, and what what's the potential there? Uh, if 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 you guys win, what what does that mean? And if you lose, what does it mean? Yeah.
6: So you know, we hope that the court goes our way. We think we have a strong argument. It's about free speech more than religious exercise. And, you know, at stake is the freedom of people not to be forced by the government to create speech that they disagree with. And we're hopeful not only that uh, Lori Smith will win her case, but that the court will, you know, rule broadly enough that they'll set a significant precedent that helps people exercise their faith and engage in free speech without undue government interference. If the case goes the other way, uh, for some reason, I think it would give more incentive to those who want to muzzle speech and, and religious exercise that, that, that they disagree with.
2: So you have this case coming up on Monday, and this law is not in effect yet because uh, Biden hasn't signed it, but how does how does or would what happened today affect this case on Monday and, and the yeah, outcome are- of it? Yeah, they're actually very distinct things. So
6: I wouldn't say that the enactment of this law has any impact whatsoever on that case. But they do represent, you know, similar problems, which is this ongoing conflict that we have between progressives and their sexual agenda and, you know, people of faith. But, you know, legally speaking, they're two very distinct issues. And so the new law that's been about to be uh, signed by President Biden does, doesn't really have an effect on that case.
2: We're talking to uh, we're talking about the uh, the um, what's it called? I'm forgetting what it's called now. The Respect for Marriage Act. And Greg Baylor is uh, senior counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, and they've had to defend a lot of people and who have been uh, harassed by this kind of thing. Um, no, you mentioned the there, there were other there were amendments offered by some Republicans. I think there were three different re- Republicans. Neither of them passed. Um, so would if if any or all of those amendments had passed would that have been acceptable to to alliance defending freedom and made the bill okay
6: no, no it actually wouldn't have because you know we don't believe it's appropriate for the congress to you know rewrite the definition of marriage even if the supreme court has already Done so. Um, the act is entirely unnecessary. And Obergefell, unfortunately, isn't going anywhere. So, you know, we don't think the Congress should cement the definition of same sex marriage into federal statutory law. At the same time, if the bill's going to pass, we certainly should try to make it less bad. And the amendments that were proposed by Senator Mike Lee of Utah, and Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, and Senator James Langford of Oklahoma all would have done that. So, we thought that the amendments were a good thing in and of themselves. And we're disappointed that uh, a majority of the Senate did not adopt them.
2: Well, the, the people, the, I guess not just the people, the politicians in favor of this and the ones who have been pushing it and the ones who voted for it have all been saying that it protects businesses like bakers, as we discussed, and religious organizations who don't want to support gay marriage. But are their are there, are there statements or uh, there, is their defending of this, is this ignorance or dishonesty? or both well I
6: you know I can't speculate what's going on in the heads of these folks I think you know some of them really believe that uh, these alleged religious liberty protections actually accomplished something I I would respectfully disagree and I think the evidence supports our argument if you look at what they've done you know they added some statements in the findings about respect for people with different views about them. you know findings are just findings they don't require judges to do anything in particular and again as I mentioned before one of the actual concrete things that they did was to quote solve a problem that doesn't doesn't even exist. So it's kind of window dressing, in my opinion, but, you know, what's going on in the heads of particular legislators, I'm not going to speculate.
2: Yeah, I, I know it's not fair to ask you to speculate, but I'm just, would it be surprising either way that that, that they were—they may have been supporting this because they think it actually is necessary, uh, or that they know it's not necessary, but it's just a political stunt?
6: Yeah. You know, given human nature, I think it's possible that it's both. I mean, I think this did start out as a political stunt. I think the idea was to get Republican members of Congress to make an uncomfortable vote, because the fact of the matter is, same-sex marriage is currently popular in the United States, so the idea was to get Republicans to take an uncomfortable vote in, in advance of the election, and I think uh, Democrats in the House were surprised that so many Republicans, something in the 40s, 43, 47, something like that, supported the bill, and they're like, hey, maybe we can actually pass this thing. They tried to do it before the election, decided to wait, and then they worked on you know Republican members of the Senate to try to get them to cross over. And these alleged religious liberty additions, I think, played a role, right, in the, in the thinking and the votes of the 12 Republicans who went along with it. Our, our point is that these religious liberty protections don't solve the problems that the bill creates.
2: Now, what can ADF and other organizations do now to fight this?
6: Yeah, I don't think that this is the kind of bill, like sometimes we uh, file lawsuits against them immediately when they go into effect, uh, we're obviously open to all options, but I think this is the kind of one we have to we have to wait and be vigilant and see if people use the bill as they, we think they will to attack things like faith-based adoption and foster placement agencies. And if that does happen, we will be there. ADF will be there to vigorously defend the interests and the rights and the fundamental freedoms of that kind of organization.
2: Okay, and just say that the, the, uh, I, I'm trying to get an idea of what the what the future is going to look like with this because as you said it it's it, it, you don't think it was necessary in the first place and it's going to if nothing else it's going to require some of these people who own businesses and belong to organizations to hire attorneys and if they don't have the ADF picking up the cost it's going to cost them a lot of money um at what how how do they um, how do they guard against this now? I mean, what, what what should they do differently? Is there anything they can do that just sit around and wait and hope that nobody comes and attacks them?
6: Yeah, I mean, there are always things that you can do to minimize your risk of litigation. Uh, ADF has something called our Ministry Alliance. Uh, it's available at adfministryalliance.org. And we provided uh, help and advice to organizations to minimize the risk of litigation. I would encourage them to do that. Um, and you know, unfortunately, we're in a bit of a passive position, but you can always be wise and prudent about how you execute these issues. You know, if there's a controversy or a dispute within your organization about a sexuality issue, it's good to get legal advice. Um, ADF does offer its services for free. Um, and uh, we would encourage people to get in touch with us if something like this happens to
2: them. How how can people, before we go further here, how how can people uh, contribute to Alliance Defending Freedom to help people who run into this stupidity?
6: Yeah, th- yeah thanks for thanks for there. we rely on the genes on the generous uh, support uh, of our ministry friends you can go to our website adflegal.org, adflegal.org, and it tells you how you can support our ministry through you know financial contributions and through your prayers and other kinds of support
2: We're talking to Greg Baylor he's senior counsel for Alliance defending freedom in case you haven't heard the Senate passed the uh, the, the bill the respect for Marriage Act with the help of 12 so-called Republican senators. Um, and so now it's a, uh, about to become a law. So uh, just a bottom line, Greg, is, is, is any of this, what you, what's happened today and what you know is this means, you know Biden's going to sign it, um, is this something that uh, down the road, could, if the Republicans would take over the House, um, I'm the, sorry, the Senate and, and the White House, that something could be done to change this uh, or is it, and does it, could it end up in the Supreme Court? What, what's the, yeah. the, the long road look at this?
6: Yeah, you know, at least in theory, if the Republicans were to gain control of the House and the Senate and the White House, they could change this. I'm not optimistic that that that's going to happen. As far as a case in the Supreme Court, it would have to be an individual case. It wouldn't be like some kind of preemptive challenge that we take to the bill now. There is one silver lining in the bill. I mean, we got the, the amendments that we were talking about earlier, the one in particular proposed by Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Uh, would have been a real, real advance for religious liberty, even though in the context of this bill, that wouldn't have been great. But now we have almost every Republican, everyone except Susan Collins, on the record saying they support something like Mike Lee's amendment, which would protect... People from the federal government who hold traditional views about marriage. That would be a significant advance for religious freedom, especially in light of all of the threats that the Biden administration is doing in other ways uh, to people who hold to traditional views about marriage. So we're hopeful that we can build on that, that vote on that Lee Amendment in the Congress that's going to start next uh, in January, and we'll take it from
2: there. And I uh, just uh, i got about a minute left. I just. Um... Is is what happened today likely to encourage the um, the zealots on the uh, gay marriage uh, front to, to push this and to try to use this to uh, you know go after bakers and people like that? Is that is this an incentive for them now? Is it more? Is it yeah, like? I-
6: yeah, I, I think so. It may, maybe not necessarily with the bakers, but it's the, you know, the nonprofits that are working yeah. closely with government. I mean, it creates a new weapon for them to pick up and use against organizations that are holding to traditional views about marriage. I think it also emboldens them in the sense that it demonstrated that, you know, the Republican Party is not entirely unified on this issue and that some of the members, at least in our judgment, were willing to sacrifice religious liberty, uh, to vote for something that was both unnecessary
2: uh, and ill-advised. Hey, Greg. One more time. Tell uh, tell me how people can uh, donate. Yeah. Please visit our website at ADF Legal. That's A as
6: in Alliance, D is in defending, and F as in freedom. Legal. L e g a l. dot ADF Legal.org.
2: And thanks for the work you're doing out there, Greg. And thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Okay. That's right. Re- it. Okay. That's uh, Greg Baylor. He's from the Alliance Defen- Alliance Defending Freedom. We'll be right back. Okay, one more time. i got to tell you about Bath or Us. Uh, I can't say it enough. Uh, Everybody has a a bathroom, obviously. And uh, I've told you here before that according to a survey that somebody did, that most people uh, through the course of their life will spend three and a half years in their bathroom. I'm getting pretty old, which I guess probably means that I've spent at least three years in mine (laughs) to this point, maybe two and a half. But if if you think it's time to get a new one, now is the time to get a new one because you can get Bath or Us – uh, if you do, if you call for a free in-home estimate right now, you get thousand dollars off plus low to no monthly payments, uh, and uh, that's a thousand dollars off, no to low. Uh, I'm sorry, low to no monthly payments, and we're talking about a total transformation of any bathroom into the bathroom of your dreams. Every unit custom built. You can pick all the premium accents and accessories. And every unit is installed by a certified factory technician in days, not weeks and months. Call today, 412-752-6880. That's 412-752-6880. Or go to BathRUs.com, Bath, the letter R, us, dot com, to start loving your bathroom
7: again. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on healthcare costs is frustrating. Well, here's something that can really help and it's worth taking a minute to look into. Medishare 65 Plus. Medishare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second-month share will be free. So, don't miss this chance. Call 855 Psalm 32. That's 855 P S A L M 32. 855 Psalm 32. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
2: I just found a thing on. Um, I don't have time to, to get it in there today, but I'm going to play it for you tomorrow. You can go check it out. Uh, go to pjmedia.com, which is one of my favorite places. Um, and they have a clip up there, and I'll play it for you tomorrow on the show if I'm uh, smart enough to remember to save it and make sure it gets in there. Uh, remind me, Mike, will you? Um, but it's, uh, it's um, a clip from the, Johnny, from the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and the guest is Mr. Rogers, and um, he sing, there's a song that he sings. Uh, it's a song that he sang on the show called Everybody's Fancy, And they're talking about the lyrics, and Johnny Carson asks about the second verse of the song. And then this is what uh, Fred Rogers says. Boys are from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine, your body's fancy, and so is mine. And then uh, Rogers explained to Carson why he felt the song was important. He says, because sometimes children think that they might change. They might have to change after a while. The audience laughed, and then he says, "Well, you know we laugh about that, but it's because we had the concern when we were little, and because you're uh and Johnny Carson says, "Yeah, because you're really not sure, and you thought maybe you' become a girl or the girl would become a boy right exactly says rogers ha- and- <laughs> Johnny Carson says happens frequently out here, meaning out in Hollywood, and he got a laugh out of that so uh, that's Mr. Rogers. I don't know when year that was, but uh, Johnny Carson's been off the air for at least 20 years. Um, so, would they? Uh, make the question here that PJ Media asked, the writer at PJ Media, Matt Margolis, asks, is: Will the left cancel Mr. Rogers now for having having said that way back when? Boy, people were really crazy back then, weren't they? They thought boys were boys and girls were girls. What were they thinking? Anyway. Well, I'll play it for you tomorrow, or you can go check it out at pjmedia.com. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.
0: The John Stagerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by ServiceMaster of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van